stronger than we thought. But I'll, I'll, I'll just bring you up to speed with where we are with all of that, our finances, all of the things with that next week. Now, the reason that I've been doing this whole series, and it's specifically about witnessing, is because uh, who we are as a church and what we're trying to accomplish to build a building is not just about having more people call church at Briargate their home. Uh, I've been saying this over the last few weeks. We, are, we don't have a church growth plan. That's not who we are as a church. We don't, we don't, we're not trying to get bigger. What we're trying to do is to tell somebody about Jesus individually. Each of us take that and own that mission and say, this is, this is the way people get to heaven. This is the way they get to know who God is and have right relationship with him is if I tell them. And when we do that, we know we're going to grow, and we, we need a building right now. We're going to continue to need more facilities as we do this. But do we have a, a church growth plan? No. We're not just trying to get bigger. We really want people to know the Lord. We want them to know that Jesus loves them, that, that uh, they can serve him. And some of those people are going to come to church here. And so this is, this is the concept of this. Now, uh, for these last few weeks, I've been talking about evangelism, how we, how we witness to people. I've been going through different um, stages of that and, and part of my own journey with that. I want to, to bring the, the most important subject of this when it comes to witnessing, uh, taking the furtherance of the gospel, developing the kingdom of God, pushing the kingdom of God forward. The most important part of this is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, and I want to put that as the foundation of all of this for us this morning, and and to 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 kind of bring it back home to us for some that know it, and maybe for some of you this is newer information, but to understand that the basic understanding of of salvation and witnessing and serving God in a general sense, all of this is the fact that this is a supernatural thing, that this is not just you're telling somebody a, a story. You're telling somebody uh, a nice, neat, little um, tied-up package that they can process and say, that's what I want, that this is a supernatural thing. Now, last week I talked about the, the one paragraph, take your testimony, simplify it, bring it down into something that, that's uh, very simple. Some of you have already been emailing me some of these. I've returned some of them back to you. And I want to say, because I mentioned last week that I've been doing this for years and years, and anytime I ask this, I get like four or five pages. Give me your, give me your testimony. Very simple. You know, one, one paragraph kind of thing. And I'll get a book. And so I, I mentioned that last week. I've got some of you sent them to me this week, and you did the best I've ever seen with this. Very concise, very simple that this is, this is, this is what I was talking about last week and what Paul went over when he was talking about to King Agrippa, that the first thing that he says is this is who I was. That can be done in a couple sentences. This is who I was. Now, there's a lot more about your story. There's a lot more about who you are that's going to broaden that out and take that into to, uh, different uh, directions when you're witnessing to people. But when it comes to your basic testimony, it's actually pretty simple. First thing, this is who I was, all right? The second thing is, is there came a moment when I realized this is who Jesus is. There came a moment when I realized he's God. He's in charge of everything, that I need to serve him. We've been looking at some videos. We're going to see some more this week about this is, this is the moment that I realized, wait a second, I need to serve this guy. Now, that can be a culmination of time. I, I don't think for anybody it's just an instantaneous thing. I think you kind of grow in that knowledge. You understand a little bit better. And then there becomes a moment when you go, oh, I get it. Okay? But there is that moment. Then the third thing is now this is who I am. Now that I uh, know who Jesus is, this is who I am. And this is something that, that I think gets a little bit lost in kind of the way we're presenting Jesus in the in American church today. 
which I, I don't, I, there's some unhealthiness to it because there's not, a, there's not really a difference between this is who I was and, and now this is who I am. But if in the middle of that, this is when I realize that Jesus is God, those two things are very different. Who I was and who I am are actually different. And there needs to be an understanding that when I ask Jesus into my life, he changes me. That, that, that I, and I should expect that. And by the way, that should be an expectation of others around you, that, I, that if this is who I was and these are the things I'm involved with, this is the way I looked at life and myself and people, and everything, that changes. I realize that Jesus is God, and there's a, there's a transformation that happens in me. And so then who I am now, and then the longer you're doing that, the more that continues to change. Now, with that understanding, there, we, we've got to have the foundation that if I'm going to be a witness to somebody around me, life, whatever, that, that I have to have the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish this. This is not a physical endeavor. This is a supernatural thing. We, we sometimes forget this and lose this in our, in our uh, spiritual walk. But we, we are spiritual people, and this is a spiritual endeavor. When somebody gets saved, there is a battle that's going on. Satan is trying to destroy this person. Satan is trying to destroy every one of us in here. He's real. He's powerful, and he's trying to destroy us. He's trying to deceive us, lock us up, confuse us, keep us distracted. Whatever he can do, hand us opportunities to, for, for sin or anything else that will pull us away from God, hurt our lives, hurt our, our um, uh, emotional, spiritual development. And that's what Satan is trying to do. And when we witness to somebody, that is, a, that is a conflict. That is a spiritual battle moment. Satan is trying to destroy them. He's trying to destroy you. He's trying to, to destroy the kingdom of God. He can't touch God, but he's trying to destroy all the things that God has to do with. And, the, and, and that culminates, that, that pinpoints in the human soul. This really is a battle. There really is a, a major spiritual thing that's going on. We can't ever under estimate that. I, I was thinking about this last week with the uh, football game. Um, some cowboy fans around here were running their mouth, and, and, um, and, and ESPN was, everybody had picked the Cowboys. All the news stations, ESPN, the Sport News, Sports Network, NFL Network, everybody had picked the Cowboys. Cowboys going to win, Cowboys going to win. And I kept thinking, they're not looking at the same team that I am. Now, I'm a huge Cowboy fan. I grew up in Dallas, but I'm a Bronco fan first. And so I was, I was thinking they're not looking at this. So then the Broncos come out, and they, they treat the Cowboys like a high school team. I don't know. This is my perception. But, um, <clears throat> and here's the thing I kept thinking during the whole game is all of these people underestimated the Broncos, their defense specifically. And here's, here's what I was, now this was already prepared, already processed this, but this is what I was thinking. We do the same thing with Satan. We underestimate him. He, he, he is not okay with you telling somebody about Jesus, and he is not okay with somebody leaving his kingdom and going to God's kingdom. He is not okay with that, and he will fight, and he will pressure, and he will, he will manipulate. He will cause you to be insecure about this. He will push you to not say anything, and then when you do say something, he'll try to push you to fall all over yourself in the process, but there is a reality. The Holy Spirit is bigger, and if we can depend upon the Holy Spirit, then we, we, can, we can be successful in this endeavor. That this is a bigger than us thing, and we don't put enough emphasis on that. Now, 27 years ago, when I became a youth pastor, there was there was this mentality in the church at the time. Well, you don't have to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. You don't need the Holy Spirit's power. We see some of that in Scripture, but you don't really need that. 
And this was the argument that they always used. I know lots of good Christian people that do not believe in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, and they're telling people about Jesus. And I used to buy into that mentality. Oh, well, I guess that's true, because I knew good Christian people that actually disagreed with the book of Acts and said, no, that's not happening. Doesn't ha- Jesus doesn't do that. We don't need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to answer because I knew people like that. But let's fast forward, and let's just look at this casually. We don't have to break this down in a lot of statistics, but let's look at this casually. 27 years later, I have been watching over these last 27 years. I have been living, I've been paying attention, and I'm noticing that our country is a way lot worse off now than we used to be. And here's the biggest thing. The church is getting smaller and smaller and smaller every single year. Just just looking at this casually, somewhere there should be a legitimate argument that maybe we should have gone back 27 years and said, maybe we do need the Holy Spirit's power. Maybe this is a spiritual battle, and we're losing it. I was Thursday morning, I was at a breakfast with some of the men, and Jerry, I told him one of the guys here was in first service, and, and um, he, he said this, and it's, it's, it's been in my head. He said, God gives every generation the opportunity and the tools to win their generation to the Lord. Every generation has that. And I was, I was nodding, yeah, that's true, I get that. And then he said, he's, how old is Jerry, 83? Um, he said, our generation has failed. Talking about his generation. He said, our generation has failed. And my first in- instinct was, no, Jerry, bring it in, buddy. Give me a hug. No, you, you're a good guy. You guys, you know, greatest generation, all this other kind of stuff. But I got to thinking about this. He's right. He's right. We are more immoral and less saved and have less knowledge of God, have less sensitivity for God, have less sensitivity for God's word than we were 82 years ago. Somewhere we've missed it. Now, let's not just blame it on Jerry. <laughs> or Jerry's generation, let's look at this over time. The generations followed haven't done any better. It's gotten worse. It's gotten worse. At what point do we stop and say, wait a second, this is a spiritual battle. This is not a physical battle. Now, I love, um, I love the books and all of the series, and there's even a movie out right now, um, uh, the Case for Christ, Lee Strobel, I, I love that. I, I, I love apologetics. That's how I'm wired. I think that way. But here's the reality. If we think that we can just lay out a good, solid case for Jesus Christ and the average person go, oh, I get it. I'm going to serve Jesus. We're deceiving ourselves. This is a spiritual battle. This is a spiritual fight. And we cannot do it without the Holy Spirit, and without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit constantly. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says, after telling them over and over, go, go preach the gospel, make disciples of the nations, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. The order of this is not accidental. He doesn't start off with, um, there's a big world out there, a lot of souls, go preach the gospel, all this. He starts off with, you're going to get power. Now, this is what you use the power for, to be my witnesses. This is why you need power, 
Because you can't do this by yourself. And the church has been struggling and struggling and struggling to try to do this grand endeavor called Christianity and the presentation of the gospel by ourselves, from ourselves, within ourselves. And it's not possible. That's why Jesus told them. In fact, he said right before this, don't don't even leave Jerusalem until you've received this power. Because if you do, you're going to fail. You're going to fall on your face. Don't leave Jerusalem until you've been given the power to be my witnesses. And then take it all over the whole world, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. You understand we're the ends of the earth, right? If you start in Jerusalem and work out from there, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, we're the ends of the earth. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't do this within yourself. Part of our responsibility is to stop trying. There is a battle going on. Holy Spirit is fighting for our souls. Holy Spirit is fighting in every single way, putting things and people and circumstances in, in, in paths and, and in people's minds and doing things to try to get them to think about Jesus Christ. And Satan is fighting just as hard to try to keep people from knowing Jesus Christ. I'm going to show you a video of uh, one of our own around here, Josh. And uh, this, I want you to process as he's talking about his salvation, understanding the, the, the moment when he, the, the process of getting to I need Jesus Christ, to look at all the different details in the process and specifically think about there's a spiritual dynamic, there's a spiritual element to every single part of this. There's a battle going on uh, that was trying to keep Josh from knowing Jesus Christ. So look at this video with me. So I grew up in a good but non-Christian home and kind of went through life with the only theology my parents gave me was, if you lead a good life, you'll be okay. You know, that worked for a little while, but as I got older, I questioned things and I didn't have answers to questions that I had. About middle school time, I went to a couple youth group. I noticed that kids there weren't cursing, they weren't smoking, they weren't doing certain things that other kids I hung out with. and. And they were, they were kind of cool, and I kind of stuck out, but they still accepted me. And so that really made an impression on me as a young teenager. was not at peace, had a lot of chaos internally. That fueled a lot of my, my actions and, and acting out behavior. Fast forward to college, a friend invited me to a, a small group, but it was just a, a group of what I now know are Christians to talk about different issues going on in their lives. And that was kind of cool because of my chaos had not settled down and I had a couple questions answered. So some seeds were planted in my life, some seeds were watered. After college, I joined the army and I went to church for the first time of my own accord. When I went, this, this young lady sang a song that moved me to tears. Um, this was something emotional for me. It really spoke to me. So God was starting to crack my heart a little bit so I came back from basic training and my wife had started to go to a church and I noticed a, a different kind of peace about her. When I got to uh, my first duty station in Germany, while I was there, my wife and Tegan and Annika, they had been started going to a church on, on post and they brought me in to the church and I, I thought I would go mainly for my kids. Little did I know that God would work on me through that process. Tegan brought me up to the front and said, Daddy, we've been praying for you. And that cracked my heart a little more. The final piece for me was a pastor. He knew I was kind of searching. He knew I was cracking. I think he had spiritual discernment enough to know where I was at. I didn't tell him and he asked me 
why I believe what I believe. And he asked if I'd ever read the Bible, and I said no. And he kind of challenged me to read it. So I'd read the Bible, and you know, I was I was pretty convicted uh, after reading God's Word. But I didn't make that a final decision until I sat down with Pastor Ken. He said, "So do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe that He's a real person? Yes. Do you believe that He died for our sins? That God sent Him down? Yes. Would you like to accept Him as your Savior?" And I said no. The the rebellion within me was still there. And I still don't know to this day why that, that was just my automatic response. And he stopped and started praying. And then I did the same thing. I was moved to prayer and changed, changed my mind. I, I went back and said, you know, I really do believe this stuff. Why did I say that? And I accepted Jesus as my savior at that time and came home. And I didn't even have to say anything to Amy. She knew, she knew, she sensed it um, as I walked in the door. So yeah, I was thankful for the people that took the time to sit down with me and answer some of my questions. I had a lot of intellectual barriers to the faith and it was a key key piece in having someone reach out and have a conversation with me and care enough to lead me to the Lord. So let me ask you the same question I've been asking some over this last few weeks. What, what makes Josh that much different than any one of us? I need the same thing he needs. You need the same thing he needs. The people you go to work with needs the same things. We need We need to Understand this is a spiritual thing. We are spiritual people, and we're hungering for a spiritual God. And we're all the same in this. We're all the same. If you, if you want to, to do this, what I was talking about last week, take your testimony. Put it in a paragraph. Send it to me. I'll critique it. I'm not critiquing it for whether you're saved or not. I'm critiquing it for content. Can you say what, what Josh said here? This is who I was. This is when I realized Jesus was God, and this is who I am now. I, I get this. I need Jesus. Well, the people around you are the same way. Whatever you put down that testimony, believe it or not, everybody else is the same way. They want to know Jesus. They just may not know that's who they want to know, but they do. So the first part of this, the fact that we need power, we have to understand that the Holy Spirit is the power to save. We cannot save anybody. You don't have the ability. You don't have a good enough argument without the Holy Spirit to save somebody. You don't have a good enough life story, testimony, or anything else to save somebody. The Holy Spirit is who changes us. Holy Spirit is who saves us. And we, we have to, 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 to settle into that, to realize that the Holy Spirit is the one to save. Now, the reality is, is we, we have to be the voice of it. The Holy Spirit is not the voice of it. He's not going to be the voice of it. We're the voice, but he's the power, and he's the power to actually save somebody's life, save their soul eternally. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, he says, For I'm not ashamed of this good news about Christ. One of the reasons he says this is because human nature gets ashamed. Maybe, maybe the word ashamed makes you uncomfortable. We get insecure. We get, we get busy with life. We would, but it all comes to, to the, to the re- reality for us. Do I really believe that this is the message for everybody, and do I believe it enough that I would stand up and say something? And then quite honestly, uh, oftentimes we do get ashamed. We get nervous about this or embarrassed about this, or, or we think people don't want Jesus. They do. And when Paul says this, he's talking about this in pretty, pretty big uh, persecution mentality. This isn't just somebody will make fun of you at work or something like that. This is people being killed for the, the process. This is uh, people being put in jail. I, I get this. I get a bunch of emails, but there's this one in particular that I get that the, that the guy that sends it to me is always sending video clips and pictures and things like that. That I mean, it, this is a subscription. I don't know the guy, but 
always sending this, and this is Christians around the world that are being persecuted and put in jail and, and beaten and killed and some of them uh, beheaded, these kind of things. And he sends video of this stuff. He sends pictures of this that he gets from people all over the world that are saying this is really what, what's happening, people getting their arms cut off, people getting stabbed repeatedly for, for just because they know Jesus. It's the only reason. And this happens a lot, and it happens all over the planet constantly. We don't get this in American news because American news doesn't care about this. But this is real. And when he says, I'm not ashamed of the, of the good news of Christ, this is, this is kind of that mentality. It's an up-in-your-face mentality. Then he says, it is the power of God at work that the actual good news is powerful, that the gospel of Jesus is powerful. And it's the power of God at work saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight, which every person needs and most people are actually hungering for. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is, a, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. I want to show you another video, and this is not from somebody around here. This is um, Pastor Shelby's manicurist, nail tech, okay? And uh, she got to talking with him about this, and, and he began to explain that he was a Christian. She's trying to talk to him about the Lord, and he explains he's a Christian. Then he begins to tell her her testimony, and we got to talking about this around here, and we wanted to show this to you. Uh, this is this is just another example. There's a spiritual battle going on. The, the odds in a natural, physical world of this guy ever even thinking about Jesus are, are pretty much nil. And not only does he think about this, but he realizes Jesus is God. That is a spiritual battle that is won by the Holy Spirit in that in this guy's life. And so we want to share his story with you. I was born in 1945 when Hitler died in Germany. The Buddhists came to my village. I was accepted as a Buddhist student by my guru. So living in the pagoda, I learned Buddhist uh, doctrine. Uh, I do everything as a um, Buddhist monk student could do. So five years after learning Buddhist in the pagoda, I learned higher, higher, and I discovered that the monk could not be the real monk. He could commit some kind of sin that people outside cannot know. I was very sad about this when I discovered that I myself could be like that too. So what is the hell? What is the truth? What is the nirvana? What is the heaven? I look for. I did not know. I was confused. But then one day I decided to go out of the pagoda because I thought that um, go out to see what is the truth in the real life. Life is meaningful. God knows it. So with this idea, I, I think that I go out and I stop being monk. And one friend of mine came to visit me and he told me that you are very suffering. You know that Jesus said, if you become like a child, you can see the heaven. And I was surprised. Jesus said like that? He said, why not? And I asked him, in what book? In Bible. So I seek for Bible. Even the first verses could touch my heart. At the beginning, God created universe. 
and I kept reading, reading. No one know the father except his son. So I thought, Jesus is the one who revealed the true of father to me. And, and then he said, all people of burdens come to me and take my yoke and I give you the rest. I know that I am the burden. I have the burden of my life. I know that now, now I am alive. I need this man. I this this kind of God. I thought so. You are a sinner. You need the love of God in Jesus. And I, I said, yes, I commit a lot of sin. I never tell to anybody. And then I feel that Jesus knows all in my heart. And from then I read Bible and read Bible and read Bible. I keep reading. One year afterwards, I believe in God. I believe that I'm sinner. God forgive me. Now, I, I want you to um, process with me just for a little bit. Years ago, when I would think of the term sinner, I would think of that in a negative way. It was a, as I mentioned this a few weeks ago, it was the them, us and them, the church and the sinner, the church and sinner. And I, and I would see this as a negative thing. When I would think sinner, I would think of the enemy. This is the bad guy. These are the, these are the bad people. They're doing this and they're doing this. And I, I don't know when it changed, but over the years, this has changed in my spirit. And this, is, this has been intentional. I just don't know exactly when it happened. But when I think of the sinner now, my heart breaks. It's not... I don't, I don't, I'm not mad at the sinner. I'm not mad at the person doing stuff they shouldn't be doing. I, I just, I think sometimes we think that the sinner is like this horrible person trying to attack God, and I just don't think that's really the case. I don't, I don't think somebody's out there doing these, these things because they're trying to hurt God. I think they're caught up in the lie that Satan tells and the, and the, the trap that this is good or beneficial or the way you can deal with your issues or whatever. And, and I, don't, I don't think they're trying to destroy God. I think they're just doing a good job of destroying themselves. And there, there's a part of me that says, why do we look at it like that? Now, don't confuse that with the fact that, that you should hate sin. You should hate sin. Every, every, every little thing that Satan tries to use to, des- to destroy humanity, you should hate that. And you should hate Satan. I, I, one guy argued with me one time, if, if we're not supposed to hate anybody, you shouldn't hate Satan. <laughs> you should hate Satan. Hate the sin. Hate the stuff that he's trying to do to destroy people. But don't hate the people he's trying to destroy. He's, he's doing a good job, and oftentimes the church is piling it on worse by being so angry at them. That's not what God's called us to do. And, and this, I think to get to that point, you have to realize this is a spiritual thing. This is a spiritual battle. And Satan is trying to, to manipulate us. He's trying to manipulate everybody. He's trying to manipulate them. We got we to gotta see that, understand that, and say, okay, Lord, I surrender myself to you, and I want them to know you. And then and kind of the mentality is now the battle is on. The difference is the Holy Spirit's going to win this battle. You just do what he says, the Holy Spirit's going to do this. The second part of this, first part is the, the Holy Spirit, the power, the Holy Spirit has power to save. Holy Spirit also, the power of the Holy Spirit is bigger than us. In Romans chapter 15, he says in verse 16, I am a special messenger from Christ Jesus to you Gentiles. 
I bring you the good news so that I may present you as an acceptable offering to God made holy by the Holy Spirit. Now, this is an interesting thing that, that he is literally saying the way you become holy is through the power of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is the one that does this and that, and that he's, it's an active thing. See, this is where we get a little bit confused when we're understanding who Jesus is and how he works in our life. There's this term we use called righteous, that the way you become righteous is you get covered with the blood of Jesus Christ. Well, if you're covered with the blood of Jesus, you're a Christian, you're the same righteous as anyone else. There is no levels of righteousness. You're either righteous, which is right with God, covered with the blood, or you're not. But there is a very big difference from person to person when it comes to holiness. Every single person in this room is the same righteous. But we're not all the same holy. Holiness is a decision. It's how much do we let the Holy Spirit pull us to Jesus? How much are we going after the Lord and his plans and his word in our life? Holiness is a decision. You're choosing right now. Do I want to grow in holiness? Do I want to draw closer to the Lord? Do I want to let the Holy Spirit change me, grow me, get in my head, and I repent, and I change, and I let him do the things in my life? Or do I choose me? Do I choose my path, the things of me? And so he says here that the Holy Spirit is the one who does this, that he makes us holy. So I have reason to be enthusiastic about all Christ Jesus has done through me in my service to God. Yet I dare not boast about anything except what Christ has done through me, which is bringing Gentiles to God. This is interesting. When we talk about ministry and doing the things of the Lord in the church today, we can go down a thousand different roads, and it's amazing to me how many of those never, ever come back to people knowing God. But he says here that this is what Christ has done through me, by bringing the Gentiles to God. That's the focus. By my message and by the way I worked among them. Now, look at this. They were convinced... By the power of miraculous signs and wonders, by the power of God's Spirit. In this way, I have fully presented the good news of Christ. Do you see what he's doing? If you're learning just rational thinking and you're using sentences to discuss rational thinking, how do you get to one? What does this lead to? What is the conclusion of these thought processes? Basically, what he is saying is, I'm doing the ministry of God. That's bringing people to know God. And then God does the miracles, and by this, I have fully presented the gospel. You can easily walk backwards into those sentences and say, any of these elements are not there. You have not fully presented the gospel. This is why in Mark 16 it says, go and preach the gospel, and these signs will follow. Again, our responsibility is to verbalize the gospel. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings the power to do the stuff. Holy Spirit is the one who gets in our minds, gets in our spirit, and changes us. And one of the ways that he does this is he proves himself to us. He does this by supernatural things. Because why? If it was just a good debate or argument, he wouldn't need to do that. He wouldn't need to prove it. You can prove it by verbalizing the necessary details. And I'll give you another one that's that's been in my head for years and years. If, if just presenting a good list of facts was all it took to to get somebody to understand Jesus, there would be that list in Scripture. If you will say these ten sentences, they will get saved. It would be like a magic spell. Say these ten sentences, and they'll get saved. It doesn't say that. 
Because why? This is about the heartbeat of God to us. And the whole book is his heartbeat to us. The whole book is his, is his um, passion for us, his desire to know us and for us to know him. And so there isn't a list because we can't explain the gospel, the gospel thoroughly enough for people to get saved. It's not possible. The Holy Spirit has to do this. And when he does, he confirms it. He shows people things. Sometimes it's a little sentence. Sometimes it's something that the, no, the person is saying doesn't even know, but you say one thing. I've had this happen to me. I'm praying about something. God, I need you to do this and this, and I'm praying. And then somebody comes up and says to me the exact same words that I was using in that prayer over and over, and, and they quote me in my prayer to God. Well, I don't go, wait, this is a supernatural moment. I just immediately recognize that. I've also seen it where there's miracles, where people have, that, that God supernaturally does have, supernaturally heals people, supernaturally does, does things that visually we go, wow, that's not normal. And God says, yeah, because I'm showing you I'm here and this is my message. This is something we have to get back to in the church is to say we need supernatural uh, representation of God by himself. That the God is the one confirming this. This is not my message. Now, I'm supposed to verbalize it. But the Holy Spirit is the one who confirms it. And this is what Paul is saying. This is how we know it's the full presentation of the gospel. I know this kind of goes against our thinking process in today's church because we push supernatural things off to the side so much over the years that we say, well, no, there doesn't have to be the supernatural um, uh, representation, God confirming this through supernatural things. We don't have to have this. But he says, after this and then after this and then after this, in this way I have fully presented and he includes, they were convinced by the power of miraculous signs in that list. We've got to be thinking that way. We've got to be intentional about it. Now you say, well, I can't make God do supernatural things. No, you can't. But if he, he says to us, if you present the gospel, I'll do it. Part of the reason that we don't see more miracles is we're not presenting the gospel. Let's tell people about Jesus, and he does some really big things. Let's lean on the Holy Spirit. Let's depend on the Holy Spirit, and he'll do some big stuff. But if we're dependent on just us, we can't do anything big. We can't convince people. We can't heal people. We can't convince them the gospel is true. We can't do any of this stuff. But the Holy Spirit can. We'll get to this place. So what do we do? We say, Holy Spirit, I need to be empowered by you. I need to be filled with you. And this is not just a, a one-time thing. This isn't just a, a casual moment. Let me go to, I, I mix these up. So let me go back to Acts chapter 4. Stay with me, Zach. Thank you. Uh, let me go back to Acts chapter 4. This is, uh, we need power for boldness too. And this is, this, is, this is one that I think we all understand, okay? We all get this. We get intimidated. We get insecure about this. We get nervous. But we need the power of the Holy Spirit to bring boldness into our relationship with this. In Acts chapter 4, he says, And now, O Lord, hear their threats. Give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. Now, I've spent a lot of time on this before. I'm not going to spend a lot of time this morning, but just to say this. See, this is... Um, uh, Peter and John had been put in jail. They had been get, got out of jail. This is just a few weeks after they were filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. This is another one of those things where sometimes the, the church gets some goofiness involved. You, you just wonder, where are you getting this from? But, but the church has said many times, uh, 
that the, that the you get the full power of the Holy Spirit when you get saved. Well, that's just not true. You, there's too many places in Scripture that disagree with that. The Holy Spirit enters into your life. You have the fullness of the Holy Spirit, but you don't have his power unless you specifically ask for it, unless you specifically pray for it. How do we know that? That's exactly what they did in Acts chapter 2. They prayed for the Holy Spirit to give them power to do what God had sent, that Jesus had sent them to do. Right? Then we see just a few weeks later, this is Acts chapter 4, just a few weeks later, this is the same group of people, mostly, and they, some of them been put in jail, let out, and all this, and they're nervous. They're scared. They all get in this house together. They get scared, and, and they say, okay, now, Lord, hear their threats. Now, interesting, they don't say, and destroy them when they threaten us. Smite them with your mighty hand, God. It doesn't say, Lord, hear their threats and protect us. It doesn't say that. I don't think that would have been a wrong prayer, but they don't, they're not concerned with being protected from the threats. What they're concerned about is we need to tell people about Jesus because it's the only way they're going to know God. That's the only way they're going to get to heaven. So it says, hear their threats and give us boldness in preaching your word. And the Lord says, okay, I'll give you boldness. This is how I'm going to do it. They say, stretch out your hand, Lord, with healing power. You realize that they're asking this about themselves. They're not just saying in some ambiguous way, Lord, stretch your hand out and people will be healed. They're saying when we preach this gospel, when we tell people about you, then stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy uh, through your holy servant Jesus. You understand they're saying this about themselves. Stretch out your hand and heal through us. Stretch out your hand and do the miraculous signs through us as we preach about Jesus. This is through them. After this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They said, we need boldness. God said, okay, this is how you get it. You need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. This is the same people that were empowered by the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. Why am I saying that? Because some, for some reason, the church has taken this over the years and thinking that somehow basically two things that I hear regularly. One is, well, they received all of the Holy Spirit that you need at salvation. Not true. That is not true. They were filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts 2 after they all believed Jesus was Savior. They were filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 4, the same group that were filled in Acts chapter 2. And it doesn't say they, they refilled. I mean, that's not an incorrect term, I guess, but it just looked at it like this is, what, this is the standard. What do you need? Filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, I've been filled with four. Okay, what do you need? Filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, I've been filled with the Holy Spirit every single day for the last 50 years. What do I need today? Filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what you need today. When you go to work, what do you need? Filled with the Holy Spirit. What do you need tomorrow? Filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? We leak. Sometimes we proactively leak. Right? Sometimes we leak because we intend to leak. Sometimes it's because of our life and our attitudes and all this other kind of stuff. We leak at much faster rates. I thought this the other day. <laughs> I, I'm not supposed to say that. I thought this the other day because I'd already put this together. My wife was just griping at me. She's just kind of in that added mood, you know, the, 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 you know. I don't probably none of you husbands have this problem, but she was, and I thought to myself, she's leaking. 
She had the Holy Spirit earlier today. <laughs> we, we do that. We do that as humans, right? We leak. We need the Holy Spirit. This is the reality. When you step into work and you try to witness to that coworker, this is not a physical thing. This is a spiritual issue, and you need a supernatural Holy Spirit that is bigger than Satan, bigger than them, bigger than their hardened heart, bigger than their sin issues or whatever, for the Holy Spirit to work right through all of that stuff, grab onto their heart and say, I'm God. Can you see me? Can you know me? Because we don't have the ability to do that for them. All we can do is get the words out there, and then the Holy Spirit takes it into their soul. All we can do is get it to their ears. Holy Spirit takes it into them. This is a spiritual endeavor. So when they said, we're scared, God, give us boldness, he said, okay, I'm going to fill you with my spirit. I need to be filled with the spirit. When? Right now, today. What, what should you do tomorrow when you start your day? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't, I, I, I would suggest strongly, and I don't, I don't know how you, I don't know what your personal prayer life is or when you spend time with God or whatever the case is, but I would say this, you, you should spend your morning while you're getting ready, while you're doing all the other stuff, praying, Lord, fill me with your spirit, praying in the spirit. It, it, that means praying in tongues, praying in the spirit. You should do this. It should be part of your ongoing existence. First Corinthians 14 says that praying in the spirit, praying in tongues is how you are personally strengthened. Well, you need that. Why? Because the person you're talking to needs it. The person you're talking to needs this conversation to be bigger than what's in your brain. They need it to be from the, the, the literal essence of God, the Spirit of God himself. It needs to come from that. And for that to happen, you need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And the church has been working so long and so hard in their own endeavors that we've gotten, we really think that this is about us. We really think we can convince people. But what happens is, is we realize we can't, so eventually the message gets changed, and the message becomes, come to my church. Instead of, let me tell you who Jesus is. Because come to my church is a much easier, you can convince people of that. But, but we need the Holy Spirit to convince people. You need a divine Savior to change you, save you, forgive you, wash you clean, let all that stuff go. You can't do any of that stuff. But the Holy Spirit can. Why don't you stand with me? So what are we going to do? We're going to pray for the Holy Spirit to empower us. We're going to pray for the Holy Spirit to fill us. Bow your heads with me. Lord, we need you. Lord, every single one of us in this room, we need your supernatural empowerment right now. We need you to get into our minds, into our spirits, fill us, empower us, so then we will witness. Empower us so that we can have boldness. We won't be scared, intimidated, but we'll be bold and we will witness. Lord, we need your power that as the words come out of our mouth, that it becomes light and life in their existence and saves them. Lord, we need your power. We need your power. The way you do this is you asking, every one of you in here in this room, you asking personally, Lord, fill me with your spirit. Lord, I want to be that witness. Fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your spirit. Now, I want you to do the same thing we did a couple weeks ago. I want you to take that person's face, that, that's a, that coworker, that next-door neighbor, that friend, that family member that you've been 
witnessing to or that you've been wanting to. Maybe you haven't yet, but you want to. Get that person's face in your mind. Right now, see that person's face and realize I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit for them to know Jesus. I need power bigger than me for them to know Jesus. I need boldness from the Holy Spirit to tell them about Jesus. Lord, fill us with your Spirit. Fill us with your Spirit. For any of you in here that, that this is, that this is a, a comfort zone for you, begin to pray in the Spirit. Begin to pray, and, and, and I would request that you pray out loud. I want people around you to hear you praying in the Spirit. Begin to pray. Pray in tongues. Pray out loud. And for some of you that this may be new or you're not sure about this, listen. Listen with your heart. Listen with your spirit. Listen with your brain. Pay attention to what the Holy Spirit is telling you, not just the words that are, that are, the, that are coming out of their mouth. Well, let's pray. Lord, fill us with your Spirit. Fill us with your Spirit. We need this boldness. We need this right now. Fill us with your Spirit. God, I want personally to be strengthened by your Spirit. Lord, I pray this for every one of us in here. For every one of us. Guys, ladies, this is, this is an individual thing. This is not a corporate thing. We do this in a corporate setting, but this is individual. The Holy Spirit fills you when you ask him. He fills you when you ask him. This is you. Do you want the power of the Holy Spirit? Do you, do you see a need for the power of the Holy Spirit? God, I pray that we see, that we can open our eyes and realize all the stuff that's happening around us right now, all the, all the protests and the hate that's going on in our, in our country right now, all of the junk, the stuff, that God, that is a spiritual thing. That is not a physical thing. That is a spiritual battle. Satan is trying to destroy us as people. Not He doesn't care about democracy. He cares about a soul. He's trying to destroy us. God, help us to look at this, to see it, to open our spiritual eyes, and to realize that there are people that are dying and going to hell without you, Jesus. That we need to care. Holy Spirit, empower us with compassion for the lost. Empower us to speak out of this mouth Tell somebody that you love them. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. And God, I pray for every one of us in here. We get to the same place that Josh's pastor got to, that he wasn't intimidated by saying, would you like to pray with me? Lord, help us not to make excuses for that, but to truly say, would you like to pray with me? Lord, we need boldness. We need boldness. So God, give every one of us in this room an opportunity this week, maybe even before noon tomorrow, to tell somebody about you. Lord, give us the opportunity. We'll do the best we can to take it. Do the best we can to jump into that. Lord, help us to speak life, love, forgiveness into somebody's life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, let me leave you with this. God has given us the opportunity to be a part of this amazing grand thing. He's invited you to the table of seeing somebody know him and have eternal life. That's pretty big. 
It's pretty amazing in my opinion. He's invited us to the table and let us be the voice of the transcendent truth of Jesus' gospel. That's big. So, so you think about that, process that, and uh, jump into the opportunity the Lord's going to give you this week to tell somebody. And uh, God will definitely honor that in your life. Shake somebody's hand, hug their neck, tell them how good looking that they are. We will see you Wednesday night. Have a great rest of your day.